Welcome back to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And Garrett, we can start today with the Manchester Derby demolition, I like to call it. The <laughs> highest scoring Manchester Derby ever. That is in 188 times, right? And Six, we got to be there. And we were there. 6-3 Manchester City. Hat tricks from both Erling Holland and Phil Foden. A couple lifelong City fans doing it against the Crosstown rival. Um, it's only the third time that's ever happened in Prem history. Arsenal and, and Leicester also did it. Um, but just records set all over the place in this game. We could go through them and through them. But if, being at the game, what were your takeaways? Um. I thought the scoreline was flattering to United, if yeah. anything. Obviously, two goals in stoppage time, but it's kind of crazy to say that when you lost 6-3 in the Derby. <laughs> that, oh, the scoreline was flattering, not to City, um, but to United. Holland's a machine. I think he's going to set all sorts of records this season. He already is, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, obviously just hope that he stays fit because it would be a shame to, to see a potentially – Historic season, get ruined by injuries, so hope that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, City are cruising. They're going to win the title. I don't really have a doubt in my mind, even though Arsenal still sit top. But uh, I, I just think City are a level above any other team in the division at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I agree with you about flattering to United. I wish it were 6-1. That would have been you know, even more memorable than it already is. And I think... It, it could have been, you know, 8-0. It really could have been. It, City took their foot off the gas a little bit in yeah. that second half. If they kept their foot on the gas, we, we know at halftime, uh, Bruno and Lissandro Martinez went off in the United dressing room, screaming at their own teammates because of how poor that first half was. But really, it was just fantastic for Manchester City, in my opinion. And if they would have kept their foot on the gas for that second half, it could have been the biggest Derby win ever. Um which obviously isn't at 6-3. But you can't complain, obviously. Foden um, with the hat-trick. Holland, five goal contributions. Not only did he get the hat-trick, he got two assists. He's the youngest player to ever do that uh, in the Premier League. He is the first player to ever do it in a Manchester derby. He is the first player to ever score three hat-tricks in three straight Premier League games. Home games, right? Yeah, home games. Um, and... Phil, of course, becomes the youngest player ever to reach 50 goals under Pep Guardiola, beating the greatest player ever to live, Lionel Messi. So it, to have two talents like that for the next decade, potentially, depending on whether Holland stays or not, I mean, I don't see any way Foden leaves. What does that mean for the Premier League? Might kind of be a farmer's league, to be honest. I mean... You're happy about it. I'm not because I just think it's going to end up turning into the Bundesliga where it's, you know, Bayern winning every year and maybe you'll have your Dortmund here and there. But, like, I, I, if this continues, I just don't see – I think the only way this would stop maybe, maybe, might not even stop, is if Pep Guardiola decides That's to leave. Yeah. But even then, unless a bunch of players leave too, which is possible – I still think you know the groundworks are here for City to 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 you know maintain this dominance for however long they want to. 
Yeah, I think it obviously depends on who comes in to replace Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola and at what point does he leave, right? Because he only has one year left on his contract. So hopefully, as a Manchester City fan, he signs another contract and extends, but maybe he doesn't. There's been you know talk both ways. And City Board obviously have a plan, but what is that plan? Because obviously having Pep draws in those top players as well as being you know one of the top clubs in the league. So... I think uh, it's going to be very interesting to see at that point. But until then, yeah, we're running the league. What do you think this means from a United perspective? Well, I mean, they've been finished for a while. When's the last time they won a trophy? <laughs> That's not what I meant. I meant more of the current season, like Ten Hag. Oh. Because like, for me, you know, you said in our vlog, oh, I expected United to put up more of a fight. I did, yeah. But I'm not really surprised that this is how this happened because as much as you know, United have been better recently. It's still a very large difference between these two clubs, but I don't really think it impacts Ten Hag's job that much. I think he has the same objectives that he has in front of him and getting battered by City isn't really anything that is going to change the trajectory of how that goes, in my opinion. Yeah, right. I I agree. I mean, I think he's obviously trying to build a project, right? And the project doesn't happen in, you know, the first eight games in in charge. So, Yes, it as I'm sure the United fans are very angry about this result, but what did they expect, right? They can't expect to go into the Etihad and find a result. Maybe they can expect not to get battered, but regardless, Ten Hag has, has a lot to work, a lot of work to do. We all know that, and we'll see if he can do it. I, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to for me. And then we had another big derby in the Premier League this week, Justin, the North London derby, and it was Arsenal running away as winners in this one. 3-1 goals from Partey, absolute screamer, Gabriel Jesus, and Xhaka. It was Kane who scored a penalty for Spurs um, after Richarlison kind of bought it, but it was more just clever play to, to win it from Gabriel. But Arsenal, as I said, they are still top of the table, even though I've already handed City the title, essentially. Um, they've been playing incredibly well. I This is the result that I saw coming because I think Spurs have been getting wins, but their performances have not necessarily merited them. I don't think they've actually been playing very well, despite the fact that they've been able to find results. And I think that caught up with them here. They play a really quality opposition in Arsenal, who are the best they've been for a very long time at this point. And they got found out, and Arsenal deserved to win the game. Yeah, well, for those of you who've been watching this podcast for a while now, you know that I've backed Arteta. You know that I've backed his project and his ability to create a beautiful brand of football at Arsenal Football Club, and that's what he's doing, right? It, it's always, you know, he plays that 4-2-3-1, but in possession, it's a 2-3-5. It really is, and it is incredibly difficult for Spurs to get out. We saw that uh, repeatedly. Obviously, the Emerson red card didn't help, but a 3-4-3 just wasn't working for Spurs to get out because Richarlison and Heung-Min Son were just dropping extremely deep, trying to fill in those gaps, and then it was just Kane up top. And so you try to break, and yeah, you can create chances, but you're just going to get dominated as we saw they did in this match. And so I think that's why a lot of... Spurs fans are calling for that 3-5-2 formation because it could help when you're having a counter-stacking style like Conte does. If you have you know Kane and Son or Kane and Richarlison up top with a five midfield, it allows them to sit out uh, and be more dangerous on that counter-attack. So 
I think that might be the answer for Conte. We'll see. But as far as Arsenal, uh, fantastic performance once again. Fully deserved North London Derby win. Um, yeah, and, and just quickly, Tottenham have now failed to win each of their last 12 games at the Etihad, or at the Emirates, Emirates rather. Yeah. Um, so Arsenal have just had complete control when they've been at home in that derby. Credit to the fans at the Emirates because uh, they've made it a tough atmosphere for Spurs for sure. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where, where Spurs go from here. Um, I think you're right. Conte definitely needs to make some tweaks because although they've found wins in most of their games and they are towards the top of the table, it's not like they've been in a groove and they don't look well-oiled. So we'll see what Conte does to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. And qu- quickly, Kane, you, you mentioned his penalty was as 100 Premier League away goals for him now. Uh, first player to ever do so. So congratulations to him, even though obviously it doesn't really matter to him. Yeah. Um, but as well, a player that I've been looking at a ton this season and I think has completely changed not only form, but what he's asked to do in Arteta's system is Granit Xhaka. He has been absolutely fantastic this season and he's a player who gets a lot of stick on social media for many years and he's, he's turning it around and credit to him because this was his first man of the match award in his seven years at the club that's mental it is it is mental but it also shows i think his goal contributions are higher than they've ever been uh he's completely understanding his role in arteta's system and he's a crucial piece of it as well yeah and he's changing my opinion of him because i said coming into this year oh if arsenal want to finish top four i don't think jock is good enough but as much as it is jock i jock is the same player it's not like he's done you know, he's improved so much overnight. I think it's the way that Arteta's using him that has changed the way that, you know, he is perceived. I mean, this is a guy who was captain and was stripped of the captaincy seven years without a man of the match. Like, he's, he's a decent player, right? But I think it took Arteta putting him in the position to succeed to unlock his true, like, his ability. I'm not saying, like, oh, it's not him at all. But I'm saying well on to Arteta for figuring out how to get Jaka back to his best because it's been a huge boost for Arsenal. Yeah, well, if you're saying he's not good enough, either he's not good enough or he is good enough. It's not. It's, I, well, like he wasn't it's not good like enough as he was being used, but now I believe he is because Arteta has put him in a much better position to succeed based on what he's good at. Like I said, he's always been good enough. It's You, you have to put players in the position to succeed. I, I talked about it continuously with Paul Pogba at Manchester United. He's a world-class player, but if you don't put him where he needs to succeed, if you put Bruno in that place when he's a worse player than Pogba is, then you're not going to get the best out of your players. It's the manager's job to get the best out of their players. Xhaka is a good player, and Arteta is finally showing that. And then, Justin, a crazy game at Anfield. Liverpool 3 Brighton three, thanks to a Leandro Trossard hat-trick. He's the first player to score a hat-trick at Anfield, not for Liverpool, since Andre Arshavin for Arsenal way back in 2009 when he scored four, the infamous four game. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's only the third player to ever do it at Anfield, which is insane. But Liverpool just looks so frail at the back. Um, And, you know, Klopp comes out in the post-match press conference saying Trent's not a defensive liability but the fact of the matter is that Van Dyke isn't what he used to be and can't cover for what Trent does going forward or his lack of effort defensively that we've seen recently and so how does Klopp fix this mess 
I don't know, but it, it, it's, it is about what you say, Van Dyke. And it's something that I've been saying as well on this podcast for a long time. Since his ACL injury, Van Dyke has not been the same player. And everybody put him in their team of the season last year. I did not because he was not that good. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, and he's showing it this season. He, he, the downfall continues. Yeah, and he's, been, he's, been, he's definitely been worse this year than last year for sure. Yes, but it, he wasn't world-class last year. No. He wasn't a top-level center back even last year that he was before the ACL injury. And I've gone through an ACL injury. I know it changes the way that your knee works completely and you have to learn for, learn how to adjust. Um, and so I think he hasn't done that as well as other players coming back from an ACL. It's a very, very difficult injury to come back from. Um, and so, yes, it, it makes Trent more of a focus, right? Because he has to defend more because Van Dyke can't cover for his mistakes. And he doesn't. <laughs> and, and he doesn't. That's the problem. And he doesn't. But I also think uh, Sadio Mane is a big miss. Uh, it's, it's hurting Salah's ability to attack. And I know they still scored three goals. Yeah, they should. They, you score three goals at home. They should not fail to win that game. But it's. But obviously Brighton are motivated. It was Deserby's first game in charge of Brighton. Obviously, uh, the new hire, similar style to what Graham Potter does. Um a beautiful style of football. That's what Brighton want. They're more interested in that than they even are with results uh, besides, you know, obviously staying in the Premier <laughs> League. Um, but it, it was fantastic. And uh, individual performance from Trossard, you can't say much about that. Uh, but yeah, I just think there's a lot of pieces, including the midfield. It's it's too young. Uh, Henderson's past it. There, there's just too many issues. Yes, Thiago is extremely creative against a low block, but you need Arthur Mello is, is not the solution, right? And so you need to find other solutions. Uh, it could be Jude Bellingham in the summer. I hope it's not. I hope he comes to city, but there needs to be solutions and Klopp will be given that time. His job is obviously not under any peril, but he needs to make some signings in January and definitely in the summer to fix it because Trent needs to defend more Van Dyke is not the same not that he's going to be replaced obviously but in the midfield there needs yeah. to be replacements and there the system and the system needs to be tweaked based on the personnel being different because it's almost like he's left it unchanged for the last four or five years that's and, the other and piece. they can't get away with that anymore well that's the other piece is because his system is not only the same but his players are the same right. and and when you're playing a gegenpressing pressing style of intense running it's it's very opposite to Manchester City in Manchester City will hold possession and make the other team run no yeah. Liverpool are the ones who constantly run they put in the work and if you cannot physically do that for four and five years in a row and expect your players to be able to keep it up they're mentally and physically going to be exhausted um, we saw that in, in what was it, 1918-19? When uh, Manchester United finished second, Liverpool didn't finish second because they they had a drop off because they needed some rest. I think it was 2021 when when the, the only reason they got top four is that Allison scored a header against West Brom. Right, right. So it it there needs to be some replacements in midfield. Somebody needs to replace Mane because, like I said at the beginning of the season, it's a bigger loss than people are going to realize. Yeah, and I, you know, obviously Darwin Nunez has not lived up to expectations yet. Luis Diaz is still a good player, but I, I also don't think that he's come anywhere close to filling Sadio Mane's shoes, as you say. So. And I've, I see now that you've added your Everton game that you were at. Yeah, of course you have to talk about it. So let's let's go. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick. I mean, it was a big win for Everton on the road. Our first road win since we beat Leicester at the back at the back end of last year. You know, which was a big win to stay up. Um, 
But it looked like we were going to lose. We've had a horrible record at Southampton recently. And when we've gone a goal behind, we've drawn one and lost seven of the past eight. Um, and so we went 1-0 down. And undeservedly, in my opinion, I thought we were the better team in the first half for sure. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we're going to crumble. This is Everton. But within five minutes, we were 2-1 up, Justin. An incredible response, goals from Cody and McNeil, which came 144 seconds apart, completely flipped the game on its head. The limbs were ridiculous. Um, and, you know, Everton, with, with City conceding three goals in the Derby, obviously, garbage time. But Everton have now conceded the least amount of goals in the whole league, which is a bit lucky when you look at the underlying numbers. We're definitely getting lucky. Jordan Pickford being an incredible goalkeeper is helping as well. But the fact of the matter is that this is a team that went from being spineless to being solid and fighting for every ball. And we made like six blocks against Southampton, throwing bodies on the line and finding ways to now pick up two wins in a row in games where we didn't play our best. So just really encouraging for Everton, and that's pretty much what I have to say about it. Uh, I, I didn't watch the game. I'm not going to watch an Everton-Southampton boring <laughs> match. Um, it, it didn't well, end it up wasn't being, boring. <laughs> yeah, but between two teams, it's just a mid-table battle. It doesn't even... But, uh, but as you say, Cody and Tarkovsky have changed uh, the back line of Everton and really solidified that, as well as the two fullbacks. Obviously, Patterson out, but... Um, it, it's it's completely different back line for Everton well, and the, from and last the, year. The midfield is huge for like Idrissa Gay has yeah, been yeah. fantastic, and we had no one last year who could consistently win tackles, recover the ball, and now that Gay and Onana can do both do that, it's freed up Alex Awobi, who's you know obviously in the headlines because of how good he's been this season, and everyone's talking about that. But it's really the squad is so much more balanced than it was that it's freed up players to actually be able to do what they're good at. So, um, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of room, a lot of reason for optimism uh, for Evertonians right now. Yep, and moving to a game from the bottom of the table, we had 20th against 19th. Uh, it was Leicester City hosting Nottingham Forest, and they absolutely thrashed them 4-0 to get themselves off the bottom of the table. Now they're 19th, Forest are 20th, uh, both on four points, I believe. Um, and... It was a Madison masterclass, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, we both brought him into our FPL. Yeah. We, we saw this one coming. But um, he's been absolutely incredible. Since the start of last season, James Madison has been directly involved in 26 Premier League goals, 17 goals, 9 assists. That is the second most of any English player in that time. Harry Kane, the only one above him, obviously. Um, and since May 11th, that's 14 goal contributions. Tied for second in the league with Kevin De Bruyne, only Erling Holland above him. So it's just unbelievable to me that he is not in the England squad right now. He has one senior England international cap, and he right now is probably not going to Qatar, but he has to be. A hundred percent. I mean, at the moment, actually, as well, it, it's not just, you know, the pure volume, because you could look at, like, Phil Foden, who, you know, doesn't start every single game because of Pep Roulette, right. but he's averaging a goal contribution um, like in less minutes than Foden, for example. So like he has like 120 minutes per goal contribution to Foden's like 140. I'm not saying Foden shouldn't be on the plane. He definitely no, should. No, no, it should but be. Madison has to be because he is that level of player, in my opinion. He's been 
utterly fantastic for a Leicester team who were not very good last year. Like, eighth flattered them a bit, in my opinion, where they ended up finishing in the table. Madison has been spectacular, and I've been saying it for a while. He is a player that, you know, I think should and will be getting a move further further up the table. He's a Champions League-level player, without a shadow of a doubt, and so the fact he's not even in Europe or, you know, potentially in a relegation battle, I'll say that with a grain of salt, obviously, but... Yeah, he has to be on the plane to Qatar. Yeah, and oh, not over Phil Foden, obviously. No, no, no. Over and players, also played, you know, somewhat different positions. But yeah, definitely. But over players like Jordan Henderson. Yes. Oh, over yeah. players like Mason Mount. I think Mount should also be on the plane. Maybe but. so, but if you're if you're picking one or the other, it's James Madison. Madison Mount has, has zero goal contributions this year. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. He was great last season. Don't get me wrong. He was in my team in the season. Yeah. But he has not been very good this year. And Madison has been incredible. Uh, I, I really, I, look, I, I agree. Both should go into the plane. But if we're talking about who to replace, Henderson's first out to me. Mount maybe second out. He, he has a huge future ahead of him. He'll go to many World Cups. Madison should be in, on the plane to Qatar whoever you're replacing him with. Yeah, I think the one thing is Southgate obviously doesn't value form as much as he should considering that Harry Maguire is still starting for England. And that's a That's not even just form. That's just how good of a well, player he is. Well, yeah. I mean, form, okay, form we can the, talk about yeah. Trent. Form we can talk about Trent because at least Trent's still a world-class player. He's just in really, really bad yeah, form. Yeah, but, but he is not starting as he shouldn't be in my opinion. I think they have two right backs who are better at the moment. So I agree. But with that, Garrett, we can move to the MLS... And it is my club, Los Angeles Football Club, winning the Supporters' Shield. It's been a good week for you, huh? <laughs> it's, it was a good day, Garrett. They happened both on the same day, right, October right. 2nd, 2022. What a day. You'll never forget it. No, but um, not only that, Garrett, it was the way that LAFC won it, right? Because thanks to Daniel Rio scoring four goals for Charlotte FC against Union, uh, being the f- first player ever, by the way, to score four goals for an expansion side in MLS history. Wow. Downing Union, who a couple games ago had the Supporter Shield in their hands. And so it allowed LAFC to have the chance to win the Supporter Shield should they be able to go to Providence Park in Portland and find a win. Not an easy fixture, though. Not an easy task at all, as you say. And so... The first goal was just an incredible stunner from Carlos Vela and vintage vintage Vela. It's he did same thing against Minnesota, which was his first goal from outside of the box since 2019. So having that in the past few games, heading into the playoffs, Carlos Vela in peak form. That is great. Uh, he has four goals in his last three games, so that is key. We've been him. waiting to see that for a while, for sure. Well, but he's been he's a good time. Good well, time he, to do it. He's been great the whole season. He yeah. has double digit goals and assists this season, um, but. But as you say, yeah, and and it, but the problem was LFC then sat back and defended in a low block, which is not what LFC or Steve Sherlandlow want to do, and it it you know bit them in the butt because Dyrone Spria, who was extremely dangerous the entire match, got on the end of a Claudio Bravo, who was also very incredible in the game, uh, cross, and he banged it into the back of the net, one one, and eighty first minute I think uh, broke the hearts of LFC fans. They thought, oh man, it's we gotta wait. For Nashville, hopefully we can win the Supporter Shield then. Um, but it, it, Denny Buonga, man, the new LAFC designated player in the 95th minute went on a solo run, cut outside, cut inside, shot it to the far post, got a generous deflection, but still ended up in the back of the net for, I, as 
great of a way to win a trophy as you'll ever get. 95th minute winner from your brand new player. His first goal for the club. As good as it gets, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know really what to add to that. It's just <laughs> now it all eyes turn to the playoffs, obviously. And Carlos Vela said after the game, winning the Shield doesn't mean anything if they don't win MLS Cup. Yep. LAFC have been here. Right, they won the shield in you know, even, yeah, in 2019 in record-breaking fashion, right? But then they bottled it in the in the playoffs. And I've tweeted a lot as soon as Bale and Chiellini signed. I I tweeted if LAFC don't win MLS Cup, they are a fraud club, and that statement still stands because they have home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. They if do. they get to MLS Cup, it will be at the bank. They have absolutely zero excuses not to win MLS Cup, Justin. So the pressure is on, in my opinion. I agree with you. Um, I will say, you know, you tweeted that after the Bale signing, and Bale has not been Bale. No, but still, it's still Gareth Bale. Like, no, I, I, well, he's not going to start. Yeah, in the but playoffs, still, added that, still added that to the best team in MLS anyway. So I agree. Like, it's it's a little unfair if you take off any of your front three and you can just throw on Gareth Bale. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely, LAFC huge favorites uh, to win the MLS Cup as they should be, and uh, yeah, Carlos Vela said it as well as it can be said. It means nothing to win the Supporters' Shield without MLS Cup. I don't quite agree with that. I do think it means something, but obviously MLS Cup is the main goal. Yeah, and then, Justin, we've been talking all season about the Sounders, and, you know, they got off to this slow start. They won the CONCACAF Champions League, and we're like, okay, they're going to turn around. And then every week we went, wait, are they? Are they? And I forget when it was, but it was a few weeks ago that I said that they wouldn't, and they haven't, and it snapped their streak of 13 straight seasons making the playoffs. I mean, this is not something I thought I'd see this season or pretty much any time. I mean, in the they've future. they've been in the playoffs every single season they've been in the league. Yeah, so this is, you know, just a novelty. It's something, you know, it's kind of crazy, but uh, it, it tied the longest streak in MLS history, which is the Red Bulls from 2010 to now. So the Rebels could break that next season, which I expect they will. Um, but yeah, I mean, wow, that's just not really what I saw coming. They won the CONCACAF Champions League, as I said, and it looked like, oh, now they've got all the momentum. They've set this big record. And then they do that and then become the first MLS team to win it in the same season that they missed the playoffs for the first time in over a decade. That's just a crazy occurrence. Uh, it's it's really is mental. And it shows how unpredictable the MLS is. The so, most unpredictable league yeah. in the world, undoubtedly. Yeah. And that can be pointed out as well because both of last season's conference winners, New England, who set the record for most points with 73 points breaking that 2019 LAFC and Colorado from the West they will both miss the playoffs this year <laughs> that's oh the only only second time in MLS history that's ever happened along with 2004-5 but it just shows that from one year to the next the top team can become a bottom team a bottom team can become a top team it, it, all jumbled right we Cincinnati Austin have went from the bottom to now playoff teams it's absolutely uh, incredible. But with that, you know, LAFC, the the what are the five teams that have qualified in the West now are LAFC, obviously, Austin, Dallas, Galaxy, and Nashville. So all five of those are in. Still some seating, obviously, to be done. But there's a couple more spots. Currently, Portland and Minnesota sit in those spots uh, for sixth and seventh. But Real Salt Lake and Vancouver have the ability to get into that depending on decision day results. We love decision day. Obviously, all games will be at the same time on Sunday, um, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern time. So that'll be very, very exciting. 
And then, of course, the Eastern Conference as well. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, they haven't clinched the East yet. They did have obviously clinched the uh, playoff spot, though, because they're at the top of the East. But Montreal could theoretically still win the East. Yeah, they're only two points back. Yeah, yeah, which is really incredible when you think about it. I mean, it feels like Philly have been dominant in that East. Um, But Montreal, New York City, and New York Red Bulls are, are the four that have clinched in the East with Cincinnati, Orlando, and Inter Miami sitting in that spot, by the Who way. Would have thought? By the way, Gonzalo Iguain has announced his retirement at right. the end of the season. Uh, he has finally hit form for Inter Miami for the first time this season, <laughs> and he's just go- he's just leaving right out. Well, you got to walk out on a sunset, right? Leave leave on a good note. You yeah, don't want to leave. Yeah, on that's a- fair. That's fair. Well, a good note a playoff loss potentially. Well, probably, but at least they'll make the playoffs. <laughs> True. Well, maybe that is, of course, because Columbus and Charlotte are both still in the race um, in the East. So. And Columbus and Miami are actually tied on point. Yeah, decision day is going to be very interesting there for Mental sure. Mental decision day as it always is uh, in MLS. So definitely tune in because it, it's going to be crazy. And I, I can't wait. And then, Justin, so we, we have no more interconference games between the yeah. East and the West, right? On decision day, it's always East playing East and West playing West. And so with that, there's this really interesting stat, which is that out of the 112 games that were played between the East and the West, right, playing against each other. They were split evenly, perfectly. 40 wins for the East, 40 wins for the West, and 32 draws. And the, like, overall aggregate score was only different by one. That's mental. 157 goals for the East, 156 goals for the West. We've been talking all season about how the West is better than the East, and we've been saying it for multiple seasons at this point, but maybe it's it's not how we think it is. Uh, I, I will say, I think it's those top few teams in the East that really keep them, especially Philly. I don't think Philly lost a game to the West all season. Um, and so I think it's that, meanwhile, you know, LAFC did, uh, or I'm not sure, but they, they drew Philly at home and yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, we've we've always said that the West is, is superior. It has been that way for the past few years, but the East is back, man. Good to see because we want that East versus West rivalry, and it hasn't really been there these past few years with the West dominating. But it'll be back this year, uh, and that MLS Cup final will be incredible, regardless of who's playing LAFC, Austin, uh, Philly, Montreal, wh- whoever. Yeah, by it, the way, it's funny we say the, the West was better last year, and then the East ended up winning MLS Cup and the Supporters' Shield. But yeah. Hey, but who won Champions League? <laughs> okay, that's true. That's a good point. But yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it, it'll be an incredibly exciting decision day uh, and a really fun one. But going from that excitement to one of the worst things that we can talk about in this podcast, I, I, it, I hate to even have to talk about it, but it has to be mentioned. Yeah. Um, in East Java, Indonesia, there was a riot at a football match uh, between Arima and let me try and pronounce this correctly, Persabaya, Surabaya. Um, oh, uh, at least 127 people died, 125 fans, two police officers, some reports from like Sky and places saying over 174. The number is still you know, unsure, but regardless, a ridiculous number of people uh, dying in a place where zero people should, should have to even worry uh, about safety. Um, it's just unfortunate because obviously Arima, um, they lost for the first time in I think 24, three years or something they lost this this fixture a derby in indonesia um and so their fans stormed the pitch and then 
at, that was responded by the police spraying everyone with tear gas, um, which caused complete panic. Everybody tried to run out of two gates, uh, and it created this bottleneck, and everyone just got trampled and suffocated by not only the people but the tear gas. Um, it, it was just complete horrific, yeah, just as, horrific. as horrific as it's as it gets. Um, league has been suspended for a week. Uh, probably should be suspended more, honestly, but it's. It's just unfortunate. These disasters happen way too often. In no, this they sport. shouldn't happen anymore. Especially yeah. like there's there's been enough that this shouldn't happen anymore. So obviously our condolences go out to all the families um, and, and people impacted, and it's just a, a horrible event. But you know, I think the football world still has a lot of work to do because you know it's, this is the only sport where this really happens, and, yeah. and it, it, that sh- cannot be the case. So clubs governments, you know, football associations, we urge you, please figure out ways to make this that to make sure this doesn't happen. Absolutely. Safe standing, whatever it is. But, you know, this cannot happen. Absolutely. Yeah. UEFA, obviously the Champions League returning today. Um, There will be a moment of silence at every UEFA fixture. Um, But moment of silences are great and all, but we need to prevent these things from happening in the first place. So there isn't a need for a moment of silence. Um, Yeah. It's, it's really just, horrendous is, is all I can say and I wish it wasn't the way that we were ending yeah. this episode Garrett because it is our last episode uh, in England I'm heading back to the United States so I can be back at decision day at the Bank of California Stadium for that LAFC Nashville game and you guys where, are going to lift the shield yeah right? where we will lift the shield um, so we can end it on that note how, instead LAFC will lift the shield um, against Nashville at the Bank of California Stadium um, but also another sad note you are leaving Upper 90. It will be your last uh, episode with us. So we thank you for being with us all this time through 55 episodes. It's been, Garrett, well over a year now. Yeah. What do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, um, I just felt from a personal and professional standpoint that, you know, with the trip being over now and, and going back home and things are going to be a lot different, that now is a good time for me to step away. Um, and I love that you're going to continue on with Upper 90. So thank you for starting this with me and for pulling through. And I wish you the best of luck with it going forward, of course. And thank you to everyone who has supported us all this way. I know that there's going to be so much more great content coming from Justin and whoever else may potentially be filling this chair. Obviously not this one because we're leaving England. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so just thank you for that. But I think with that, Justin, that brings this episode to a close. So thank you all so much for watching. Be sure to follow on all of our socials. That link is in the description. um, and, And we will see you very soon. See you next time. More content coming. News coming on that. Don't worry.